Yo, what is up? You have found I Like the Blazers. I am your host, Brandon Golder, and I'm excited to share that today I was a guest on somebody else's podcast, Ryan Whitledge of the Blazer Tag Podcast, hosted, but we are releasing, simulcasting this podcast on both feeds. So if you haven't already, please check out the Blazer Tag Podcast, an important Blazers resource. And we talked about the Blazers' much-needed win over the Bulls. We talked about, of course, Carmelo Anthony. We talked about Coach Stotts and lots of other things. But before we get to that interview, I wanted to hit on one thing really quick. Well, two things really, both about Mello, because of course we have to talk about Carmelo. The first is, and just to reiterate something I said on the podcast with Ryan, I really do think that Mello looks physically slightly better than I thought he would, both on offense and on defense. And I think that's a good thing. Whether or not he can sustain it for the season is something else. And you don't really need for him to go out and score, you know, 20, 25 points a game. He just, he looked better than I thought he would. So that's point number one. Point number two, if you haven't already subscribed to The Athletic, you are missing out on some of the best NBA writing you can find. And there was an article today from Sham Sharania of The Athletic titled, This Ain't a Damn Farewell Tour, A Conversation with Carmelo Anthony, which is a really good look inside the thinking of Carmelo, who is out of the NBA, remember, for an entire year before being called back into action by Portland. But there's one point in particular that I think is worth highlighting. The whole story is great. I'm not trying to spoil the whole thing, but... He talks about how he didn't want to use his relationships with other NBA players to get a job in the league. And, you know, remember, Carmelo Anthony is the hidden fourth member of the Banana Boat crew. That photo that surfaced of Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, Gabby Union, and LeBron James on a giant banana boat. But Melo was on that trip, so Melo is kind of the the honorary, you know, ghost member of the Banana Boat crew. Uh, And he could have called LeBron. He could have called Chris Paul. And Chris Paul being the president of the uh, National Basketball Association's Players Union. And he claims that he didn't do that. So from the story, he says, quote, as far as friendships, I would never put business along with friendships. I would never do that. I would never reach out to a friend and say, I need this. Can you do this for me when it pertains to a situation that may not be in their control? It was frustrating being in my position, but I just decided control what you can control. I got close friends on a lot of teams that I would never reach out to for a favor. It's just not who I am. And I think that that is important, by the way, this is something that is pretty easily falsifiable. And by falsifiable, I mean you can check whether or not it's true. I'm not saying that it is false, um, just if you're not familiar with the, with the term. Uh, I think it's an important part of his psyche that, look, I, he's made a lot of money in the league. He's going to the Hall of Fame. He has a lot of prestige. And if you're going to take him at his word, he didn't want to get a job because someone called in a favor. He wanted to get a job because he wanted to be a good fit on a team, which really is is smart because it's probably, I don't think that you can ignore that his last couple of stops didn't end very well. And I'm sure there was probably a period of self-reflection and, you know, coming to the conclusion, look, I just want to play somewhere that actually needs me and wants me to be there. I think that's smart. So at any rate, that was my takeaway. One of the takeaways from the story, you should check it out again, Sean Sharani with The Athletic. Uh, that's about all I got. And with that, we're going to go into the interview with Ryan Whitledge of the Blazer Tag Podcast. He is hosting. He will kick us in in just a moment. Here we go. Alrighty, guys. So uh, this is going to be a weird episode of Blazer Tag, at least on my end. This will be a slightly normal episode of I Like the Blazers on the other end. But uh, I am sans hair and green tonight. So hair is currently laying on a beach somewhere in Hawaii, drinking Mai Tais and enjoying his time with his wife while watching a Blazers win tonight. So life is great for him. Uh, Green, on the other hand, is stuck in a financing class somewhere out in Beaverton. So uh, life a little more rough for him. So it's just me. But luckily, I know some people. And I have one Mr. Brandon Goldner here. Thank you for joining me, Goldner. I am a person. That's about the most accurate description of me that you could have. I know a person. (laughs) I know people. I'm a person. And I'm happy to fill that role. A person. 
I, I put out the call to action on Twitter of that I that they help wanted sign, and I'm not gonna lie, I actually got a lot more response than I thought I would. And. <laughs> Until I started sifting through it, and I'm like, I know of none of these people can have intelligible thoughts about the Blazers. <laughs> I, I tried to screen some of them by going through their Twitter, and I was like, mm, no, you have, you've tweeted nothing about the Blazers. You just want to yell into a microphone. <laughs> the only two questions I have are, A, do you provide benefits for this help wanted? And B, do you mind if I unionize? Uh, you can unionize. It'll be a union of one, seeing as that you are a part-time seasonal employee in my mind. So, damn it, I, I'm a contractor. Was, no, <laughs> sorry. Yes, best I can give you is a 10.99 after this. Does that work for you? That's fine. I'm gonna have to ask Green for some help. I know he knows all that finance and tax stuff. He's a smart dude. I'll ask him if that's well, all up and up. I would. I wouldn't say smart dude. He's a finance, finance and tax. He guy. He presents as in, smart. Oh, yes, yes. He's he's very good at faking that. <laughs> so luckily, we get to record this on somewhat of an upswing because the Blazers just finished playing the Bulls and they got the rare road win or uh, win rare win. Yeah. And blowout fashion style. So that's good. Um, I have you made many bets with the scorecard app or scoreboard I, app? I Is that the Oregon Lottery's betting app? Yeah. No, I have. I, I was going to set it up and then I forgot. And then I was looking at all the reviews and people are like, oh, it's impossible to set up. And the, the geolocation, it makes you check in every I'm just going to let the bugs work itself out. It's like my dad used to say, you never buy the first year of a new model car. You let them work out all the kinks and then you purchase it. So I'm just going to wait a little bit on that. So, so I will let you know that I downloaded it initially as soon as it came out. And I'm up here in Washington, so I'm on the outside of the geofence. And I actually had zero problems signing up, setting up, anything like that. But every time I log on, it just asks me, can we use your location? I hit yes. If I'm not in Oregon, it, it still allows me to look at the bets and all that stuff. I just can't place them. Anytime I'm down in Oregon, zero problems. That's good. So I actually I mean, was. So that, I was I mean, that sounds like out. it's working as intended for you. There are some people who live in North Portland who are like, well, it's flipping back between Oregon and Washington. I think I'm far enough in where it probably wouldn't be a problem for me. I'm near OHSU. So I'm a little I'm a little deep there in Southwest. So it probably would be fine for me. Maybe I should check it out. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend giving it a shot. I actually had the uh, the rare, rare opportunity tonight where I hit on most of the Blazer bets that I placed. So uh, my my one that I hit uh, that obvi- or place that I was most nervous about was Blazers to win by at least one and a half points because that's been rare. Um, I also bet on the Carmelo Anthony over 13 and a half points. I felt solid about that at the end of one. Saw you tweeting about that. Yeah, yeah the 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 one that I I thought was probably my easiest lock, which turned out to be completely false, was the uh, Damian Lillard uh, under seven and a half assists. Yeah, finished with twelve tonight. So luckily, I put the least amount of money on that one, but I still came out ahead, tail end of the night. That's all I care about. Dang it! If only Dame had played just a little bit worse, he would have been sold. Would have been solid. No, no, I just wanted him to go god mode because at, at halftime he was sitting at seven, and I'm like, all right, just Dame carry carry it the rest of the way. Don't pass to anybody. Just <laughs> just go off for like ninety seven points. I don't care. Don't pass. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is the best version of this Blazers team that you know doesn't have Nurkic and doesn't have Collins is one where Dame has weapons and means he's going to get more assists. Sorry, like I mean not sorry, but like uh, to me it's not surprising. It was obviously Carmelo's most comfortable and best game as a Blazer so far. So I don't know where you want to start with this. I mean I think there's plenty to pick apart in this game. Or you gave me a well, schedule and now I'm ignoring it. Now I'm just kind of going off on the rails. It's it's fine. That's exactly how my other two co-hosts normally do it. So I, I feel right at home with this, trying to reel this crap <laughs> back in. And so I'll probably lose the reins again. But um, seeing as that you just mentioned Carmelo, let's start. So our last recording we did right after the Houston Rockets game. So we we on this show had not talked about the debut of Carmelo Anthony. So Goldner, how do you feel about Melo? 
How do you feel out of these first four games that he's been on the team? How do you feel as though his fit has been? It's been kind of a mixed bag because tonight was actually the first night that we got to see him with the true starting lineup. Dame had missed some games. Hassan Whiteside had missed some games. So how have you felt about what you've seen from Melo so far? Well, before I talk about what I feel about what I've seen, I want to talk about what I felt when he was first signed, which was not great. I didn't feel good about it. I had to jump on the pod, do an emergency broadcast, basically slandering Mello in every way possible. I was not happy about it. And oh, if you should you have called me, me for that. I would have joined you on that. Man, the other I two guys, the other the other two here are just they're they're bending over backwards. The hair absolutely loves him. There's no bad bad side there's no downside to this he absolutely is obsessed with him green as always is taking the middle ground he's like "Eh, i could probably work but i could see the downside me i'm just like what the ever-living crap we need defense and you go for a selfish iso offensive player what the fuck yeah it was it was tough and if you follow me on twitter at golden pdx you will see (laughs) that i had to tweet out something along the lines of oh yeah i've always been a total and complete Carmelo supporter and then an asterisk deleting 50 anti-Melo tweets. So my first thought when he, when he was signed was very negative. I think games like tonight, it's tough to take too much away from it. Let's just run through the numbers really quick. He shot 50% was 10 for 20 from the field, four for seven from deep 25 points, eight, or eight rebounds. And he looked mobile. So, uh, but it's against a bad team. The Chicago bulls are not a good team. It's a game. The blazers that, if you hadn't noticed that the Blazers were doing terribly this year, you would think this would be an easy win. So he ran up the score on a bad team. So you can't take too much away from it. But here's what I'll say, and I wanted to get your take on this too. He looks physically pretty good. Like, even on defense, he looks relatively active on defense. He had a dunk. a cont- He had, like, a spin move and a contested dunk. Like, I, I mean... There's more we can say about it, but like physically, I think he looks pretty good. And if nothing else, I guess that augurs well. I've I've never doubted his the physical aspect of his game. And part of that comes from the fact that he's he's never been that he's not LeBron James. He's not running like a tank. Oh, he's not coast to coast to coast as much as he's basically as as good as LeBron. Well, as much as Melo would like to think he's as good as LeBron, that does not mean he is actually as good as LeBron. They're close to being the same age. That's about it. But um, so doubting his his physical abilities has never been high on my list. It's always come down to what everybody else has said about Melo over the last week, and that's his taking a year off. Has he been able to observe the game and adapt his game accordingly? And is he willing to accept his his new role in the league and on the Blazers? Um, I still don't. I'm still torn on this. I, I'm going to need at least a 10 game sample size before I feel as though I can confidently make a statement on how Melo's fitting in. So far, early returns are okay. And just to real quick, um, if you're going to give him props for having an 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 awesome showing against the shitty team his showing against the uh the Cavs on Saturday night 5 of 15 0 of 8 from 3 for 11 points so another shitty team but then he turned in a shitty effort yeah and I'll admit I didn't watch that game so I can't speak to that I can only look at the box score but here's what I can say after watching tonight's effort against the Bulls which is it, this won't show up in the box score as much he had some passes that didn't connect And it wasn't because they were bad passes. It was because, to me, it was pretty obvious he doesn't know his teammates. He had Mm -hmm. one of his entry passes was just like a beat too quick and CJ couldn't quite get to it. And another one was like like a lead pass. It was just a little bit too far. And the guy he was passing to, I don't remember who it was in that at that time, cut in kind of the wrong direction. But he looks willing to pass. So to your mm-hmm. point, if you weren't concerned about his physicality, which I frankly was because he looked like he wasn't going to be able to stay in front of people on defense, um, that physicality piece I feel a little better about. And he looks willing to pass. So I'm wondering, and same as you, I want to give it like 10, 12 games. I'm wondering if maybe his time off from the league has given him enough time to reflect if maybe this is the come to Jesus moment he needed, because look, if you have a guy who plays not, I don't even want to say like good defense, but like reasonably engaged. Yeah. Passable, passable, engaged defense. Um, and who shoots when he's open 
and he's, you know, like a prolific, amazing, you know, legendary shooter and who can be a willing passer. That's a functional player, even at 35. So tonight was the first night that I thought, okay, I can kind of see the logic behind this. I could see this working. It's just, I mean, do you think that he's going to play this well every game? I, I don't. So, I mean, color me still kind of cautiously pessimistic, even though he played well tonight. I guess the best comp that I could have for him in regards to your question of can he play this well continuously is in this right now, CJ's not even playing as well as he can continuously. And Carmelo is a taller version of CJ. That, that, that's my best that's my best comp for this he's an he's an iso heavy shot creator who loves to spot up from the mid-range well that's cj and we have that in a, in a you know a six foot what uh, i'm not even entirely sure how tall cj is what's his official six, height three. listing probably six three all right we have that in a six three player now we have it in a six nine player i i believe in this offense he's a great outlet for dame uh i threw out a tweet tonight um cj brought the ball up court and Melo tried to show for coming up for a screen and white side at the point in time was down on the strong side block and dame faded to the weak side corner and Melo came up to initiate pick and roll and give cj a screen and cj waved him off and i'm like why the fuck are you doing this cj like this is that would probably be the most dangerous version of this offense that we could have is either dame or cj initiating the offense mellow coming up for a screen hassan whiteside parking down on that strong side block and who's whoever isn't dame or cj that's not initiating that fade to the corner because that is the most spread out this offense can be because you'll probably have uh, Rodney Hood sitting down in the other corner and that just leaves all the options. And I think the best position that Whiteside can be in this offense is closer down to the rim. He needs to not be the guy or the, the big that's coming in for the, the pick and roll or pick and pop screen because he fucking sucks at screens. And it feels weird to say that Mello is now the best screener on our team. Yeah, that is weird. And I mean, speaking of people who can spread the floor, I do want to alert your attention to this fact. Uh, Anthony Tolliver started last game against the Cavs, played 30 minutes. Tonight was a DNP coach's decision. So did you hear anything about Anthony Tolliver being injured or because if not, he just he didn't check into the game the whole time. He's supposed to be someone else who can spread the floor. Tolliver had been fading in this rotation for a while, and he had a he had a DNP he had 30 previously. Thirty minutes last game, thirty. Yeah, but this is that was a game in which we were without Whiteside, and so then you're straining for bigs. And the last two games that Tolliver started were games that we had without Whiteside, and so that's one of the big criticisms that's coming out now is why why is Tolliver getting a run? Well, he's getting a run because we're running out of fucking warm bodies to throw on the floor. Except for, so, hey, I mean, Moses Brown gets four minutes tonight in garbage time and looked looked okay. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, the most dangerous version of this offense is one where it's spread out. And Carmelo Anthony can do that. And, I mean, to his credit or his defense, when I watched the – because I, I said I didn't watch the game against the, the Bucks. Um, I watched part of the game against the Cavs. Well, okay, let me, I, I, I didn't watch either of those games in real time. I watched pieces of both. And when I watched some of the shots, fan. horrible, fan. I am a terrible fan. No. I also have a job and I also have other things to do, but uh, also a terrible fan. When I watched Carmelo, some of the shots that he missed against the Cavs last game, uh, when he went 0 for 8 from deep, he was open. They were halfway in and like, those are usually going to drop. And so mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I, I'm almost talking myself into being cautiously optimistic now, man. Should I do that? Is that a smart idea? Should I be a Carmelo apologist? Is that what I've turned into? I don't think we have to be apologists because he took a year off from the league. So did Michael Jordan. He's basically Michael Jordan. Your words, (laughs) not mine. will never, these statements are one of Mr. Brandon Goldner and do not reflect. (laughs) Um, no, he took a year off from the league. That can be humbling. I mean, uh, when when you have the, for lack of a better term, every, every single player in the NBA has has the mindset of a champion. They are, they are the best at what they do. They've been the best at what they do. It's how they got to be one of the 420 players in the league. And when you're one of the best of those for most of your career, and, I mean, he just moved up into 18th and all-time points scored um, tonight, what... Th- 
and you go through a humbling experience like that, that's probably going to lead you to have some inner reflection. The biggest question I think about Mello heading into him signing with the Blazers was, would that moment of reflection mean anything? And I think we're seeing flashes right now in this early going that maybe it did mean something. Let me ask you this. What do you think about the We Love Mello chance breaking out in Chicago? Remember, Mello he's is a, from Chicago. So I was, was going to say, he, he's a Chicago boy. That's no different than if Kevin Love is going to come here when we play the Cavs and we're going to try to chant Kevin Love's name if he's playing. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize the, that Lake Oswego had a basketball team. Well, c- come on. In, in Oregon, we <laughs> adopt any town. You can be from Medford. It doesn't matter. We'll still adopt you. Um, so as a Corvallis native, am I just I've just lived in Portland my whole life then? I can just say that. Yeah, yeah, you can. Oh, so a uh, little little aside here. Did did you catch the Beavs game? Man, you know, I here's the thing. Like, I grew up at Corvallis. I went to high school, middle school, elementary school in Corvallis. I went to Oregon State University. I've never super been into football, but I was watching from afar, and it looked like they were going to win, but they didn't well, win. Well, they, they, they were winning up until four seconds left in that game. What, I, what, I, what the I'm, hell I, happened? I'm I'm a I'm a Ducks fan and the Ducks just shit the bed this week so yeah oh god dad, that that was horrible <laughs> piss away their playoff chances with that but but no then I started I I was paying attention to the Beavs game I'm like holy crap they are ahead uh, uh, they just made a piss poor decision to go for it on fourth down instead of punting it away and trying to trying to pin them with their defense but oh I'm oh. I'm I I that was the last game that I would be rooting for the Beavs. Because I I was really hoping that they'd get to a bowl game for the first time in many many years, but again I'm a Ducks fan, so now I'm not allowed to root for them to get that sixth win. So, well, I mean the that's, Beavers. That's my that's my segue. <laughs> I, I will just say this: I grew up in an era where Beavers tickets were being given away, buy one get one free if you went to Buy Mart. So I'm used to the Beavers not winning games, so it didn't really surprise me. I guess uh, one more quick aside. Uh, Reporting from Anthony Slater saying that the Warriors pregame show says Clay Thompson will serve as the team's sideline reporter for the Warriors games against the Bulls. Question for you. Should Yusuf Nurkic be a sideline reporter for the Blazers? Yes or no? I say yes, but he's not trusted after he dropped an F-bomb last year. They can't put a mic in front of him anymore. (laughs) I think I think that's fine. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think that. You know, that's just a word that he used in exuberance, and we should applaud him for his authenticity. By the way, how is that not like a circumvention of like the CBA? Like, there's I'm zero sure way not that you can. Him. Okay, well, then that becomes like an insurance issue because the the team's insurance is paying his salary this year, but now if he's actually in a function of working, then they technically have to pay him for that. And if they pay him while he's not playing then isn't that again a fault of the cba god this I'm is sure way too many fi- technicalities they're, they're that gonna, I wanted they're to gonna they'll this. figure something out don't worry they'll be fine uh, yeah we'll never hear about how exactly he got paid for his time as a sideline reporter but oh, okay yeah you know, you know who else is going to be fine birthday boy coach terry stotts oh, yeah, i forgot it, it it's a decent segue and i didn't realize it means stotts i'm gonna share this close of a birthday two days off that's not bad. Wait, are you uh no, you are you a Scorpio? Are you are you Scorpio season? Nope, nope. Nope. Okay. Sagittarius gotta bump me up one. All right, yeah. All right, never mind then. You and Stotts, boo. Uh as a Scorpio <laughs> over here, I have to say I'm disappointed that you couldn't have been born just slightly sooner. Um so you I you... was already three weeks premature, dude. I was already trying my damnedest. <laughs> I don't know Can't how to speak for Stotts. I don't know where I was. I think I was kind of on right. I think I was like right on schedule. I don't know. Uh, th- this is not what I would, people are I tuning bo- in. To I was born. No. I was born on Thanksgiving, and my mom had. And there's a newspaper article that I can use to back this up if anybody wants to call BS. But I I was born an hour after my mom put a turkey into the oven, and an ambulance had to rush her away to the hospital. At which point, then her house caught on fire. <laughs> Wow. While giving birth to me. That is an appropriate metaphor for your entire existence. Wow. Oh, love you too, bro. <laughs> I'm you're sorry. To throw sh- you're only allowed to throw shade like that if you actually show up to my birthday party that you get invited to. 
Man, I had so many competing obligations. So here, and I didn't actually tell you this, what ended up happening is my brother and his wife and his two adorable children wanted to not hook up for lunch, but to go out to dinner. So we went to this place and, and this is the, this is the worst slash funniest part. We go to this pizza place and they had exactly one table that would accommodate six people. And we had four adults, two kids. And we're behind these other people in line to, you know, like check in and this table's empty. Mm -hmm. And so they seat the people in front of us, a party of four at a table for six. And so then I go up and I go, hello, we have a party of six. How long will it be? And she goes, oh, well, we only have one table for six and we just sat it. So it's going to be about an hour. And I was not super stoked about it. So we ended up waiting like 35 minutes. The food ended up being good. That's my excuse. I'm sticking to it. Happy birthday. Sorry I couldn't be there. It was better for me not being there. Let me just say that. You're glad that I didn't show up. Well, we I do, well, we got drunk at Top Golf and Happy Gilmore a bunch of golf balls off off the uh, third third story. So it was freaking fantastic. It's been too long I, since I played golf. It, well, it was either the first time or way too long since all of us there played golf. So, and by the way, uh, your old podcast partner Keith, he was he showed up. He was there. Uh, do not golf in baggy pants, Keith. If you're listening, it 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 obviously does not help your game. What 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 happened with Keith? <laughs> oh no! It, it just he he got zero hip movement with those baggy pants. He, he I I wasn't sure if he was wearing jinkos or not. It almost looked I was like going to say, is it denim baggy pants? Because those don't have any stretch unless you get the stretchy ones. Yeah, yeah, case. okay, yeah. They were denims. Yeah, so, I, um, I I have since learned. I, I think it was like when I hit like. Right when I was getting around 35, I was like, all of my pants need to stretch. Dress pants, stretch. Jeans, stretch. Chinos, stretch. They've got to stretch. If they don't stretch, I'm not buying them. That's my new rule. Yeah, every Thanksgiving, I try to find a way to steal some of my wife's leggings and try to make it appropriate for a man to wear leggings because that's the only way I survive. You know, they make like sports tights and stuff. You can wear like basketball shorts over the tights and that works pretty well, too. Uh, the, probably the best pair of eating pants I ever owned was, uh, eating and I didn't pants. even own them. Yes. This, this is what I'm calling them. Uh, my ex-wife, I stole a pair of her maternity pants and she didn't notice for the longest time. And <laughs> the, I swear to God, I wore those for like two Thanksgivings and it was fantastic. There was no having to like undo a button after like the fifth slice of pie. Oh my God. If everybody listening to this audio could see the disapproving look that you're giving into the camera right now, <laughs> it's fantastic. I'm trying so hard to be polite, uh, but it's, I'm, I'm finding it difficult why don't we talk about Coach Stotts? Because you have it here in the rundown. Uh, yes. So so we're getting into the trail mix portion. Uh, we'll just breeze past this real quick. Blazers wave pal. None of that better get edited out, by the way. That's all staying. That, yeah. That, nah, I just cut out the dead parts. That's all I do. Good. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so the Blazers wave pal Gasol. Um, he was unable to successfully go through rehab or hit way too many snags in his rehabbing process. But the good news, I guess, is that he will still be seated on the bench next to Yusuf Nurkic because they're trying to keep him on as a coach. So how do you feel about that? Big, big loss for the Blazers. Not a big loss. I feel like the it's a loss in that they were hoping he'd contribute something. It's a loss in that they lose a warm body. It's not a loss in that his presence will be the same as it was before, except for now they have an extra roster spot. I'm not as concerned about the salary implications. I'm more concerned about how many players are carrying on the team. So this makes it more likely that they can perform an unbalanced trade, right? Take back more players than they're giving out. Um, whether that's packaging Whiteside and Bazemore for something else and some other players. It just, I, I think that it gives the Blazers more flexibility, but it is a bummer in that they thought they'd have a serviceable, you know, eight, 10, 12 minute big at some point, And now they don't. So I, that, that part, I bummer. had him pegged to probably play about 15 minutes a night. So, but he was also going to be the main backup to Zach Collins. So just that entire, just to shit. Yeah, I mean, and I, I get that the Blazers, it, they, their rotations were built somewhat tenuously. If you're relying on, first of all, relying on Zach Collins to play much better than he did last year, that's that's questionable. Uh, for Hassan Whiteside to play motivated, that's been questionable too. And then you're hoping that Pau Gasol is going to get healthy. And then you're hoping that Scala BCA can provide something. So, I mean, even from the beginning, all of this was a little bit tenuous, but 
so yeah, it's not disappointing so much as it is just like, well, they lose a warm body for now. This might help them later. So I'm trying to take an optimistic view of this. And so mm-hmm. there you go. This is, so speaking of how players are playing, players are coached. And apparently there is a new faction that is now being super vocal on the Blazer interwebs. And this is the anti-Stots faction. They are currently at war with the pro-Stots faction. And there's nothing that anyone can say that can sway their mind. Um, For anybody who's not up to date on this, uh, apparently, uh, based off a very vocal portion of the Blazers fan base, Stotts is absolutely murdering this team. He is not coaching appropriately. He is making poor substitutions. The play calling is subpar. Everything is wrong. Everything's fucked up. Brandon, I got about like 32 paragraphs typed out here, a rants that I want to make. So I'm just going to let you start this train and I will chime in when you hit a point that I think I agree with. That's fair. And I don't have anything written out because as the guest on this podcast, I don't have to do any work. I can just sit here and spout my uninformed opinions. And I feel great about that. I've been a longtime Stott supporter. If people know that my pinned tweet is a picture of me with coach Stotts when he visited city hall as one of the highlights of my entire life. Uh, That's less than a year old. So you can't claim that for a while though. That's true. That's a good point. But I, I, I think Coach Stotts is an incredible coach for a lot of different reasons. I'm going to cut all of this just to say, look at the hand the man has been dealt. Look at the players that he has to play. How is that his fault? How is that his fault that Nurkic is injured, that Collins is injured, that Whiteside has been out, that Dane was out for a few games, that Pau Gasol can't play? In what universe is that Coach Stotts' fault? So here's the thing with that. I don't buy the narrative that this team is just riddled with injuries and that's the reason that they're playing so poorly. Coming into the season, like I I don't think you can claim even though he is injured. I don't think you can claim Nurk as an injury that's affected this team and this performance thus far because we all knew he was going to be out until at least February. We're not at February yet. I'll judge the Nurkic injury for after February. But he wasn't expected to be healthy until around the all-star break. The quick, only quick, player... inter- quick interjection to say though, you can't, you can't build your team during the summer around a temporary short term relative to the lifetime of a player, short term injury. So you do have to build your team thinking that Nurk is going to be there. Hold on. Yeah, I got that bullet point later. I'll touch back on this. All right. <laughs> I just blew I just... your mind. No, I actually do. No, you made me have to scroll, you asshole. No, <laughs> but the, right now, like going into the season, the only player of significance that has experienced a major injury is Collins. And I mean, as we touched on before, we didn't think Gasol was going to play heavy minutes. So his injury stuff is is not super impactful. It is impactful in a sense, but not super impactful. Uh, Whiteside. He's missed a game here or there, but he's not missing major time. Dame only missed two games. So injuries, while yes, they do play a part, they've not been a major contributing factor outside of Zach Collins. And so losing one player shouldn't be that negative of an impact on the quote-unquote deepest and most talented team that Olshay has ever assembled. So, and I think that that is a good point. It's not just the injuries. It's the architecture of the team regardless of what those injuries may be. And so, yeah, my, and my, my main point really is that the cards that Stotts is playing were not dealt to him by himself. Stotts is not both the dealer and the player. Olshay is dealing the cards. Stotts is playing them. So for people who are looking at this Blazers season and saying, well, this is Stotts' fault. Why is he playing Tolliver so much? And I kind of agree with that criticism. Fine. Okay. But there's a lot of other things that go into being a coach that include things, and I've, I've ranted about this on many podcasts, ego management, something that I think people overlook and maybe don't talk about enough in being an NBA coach is how is it that you manage the egos of players who are fabulously wealthy, who are very good at what they do, who are in the top you know, 50, 100, 200 people in the world at what they do? Um, how is it that you manage all of that 
and you can still get people to buy in and listen to you, that's super difficult. And guess what? Stotts has proven that he can do that and has proven he can do that with multiple groups of different players. That itself is worth a lot. Not to mention that he has the support of the team's best player, Damian Lillard. Those two things, let alone the X's and O's, make Stotts a good coach. Do you disagree? No, I don't disagree. And like another aspect that people don't necessarily think of in how a coach plays players or and and how it plays to roster building is that GMs make promises to p- both players and agents about roles and contract negotiations. Obviously, the coaches they're consulted ahead of time. They sign off on bringing a player in. Okay, yeah. So we pro- or is it cool if I promise this player that he's probably going to see this many minutes? But if a player isn't living up to his expectations, you know. The front office can still occasionally put pressure on a coach to play those guys in their promised roles or or the promised amount of minutes because like the reputation um, and therefore ability to like execute future deals and and trades or whatnot is impacted if the team move away from what was promised to or with signing that player with that agent because if you look at like the agent list it's I think most top tier agents carry about. 20 players and they're all the impactful players so if you're going to tell an agent like oh hey yeah i'm going to give player x you know this role this many minutes here's what we expect of him and then shit goes off the rails and suddenly or that player isn't living up to expectations that agent still reaches out and is like hey but remember you promised so then the gm hits up a coach and is like I know you don't want to, but I need you to because this is going to help me keep the trust of this agent and I want to get this other player. That's an excellent point. And to your point about a GM writing a check that the coach can't cash, I do appreciate and Olshay should get credit for informing and looping in and considering both Coach Stotts and Damian Lillard before they took on Carmelo Anthony. That was made clear in reporting from Chris Haynes, who is mm-hmm. from Yahoo and super looped into Dame and lots of other players on the <sighs> team. And I appreciate that. So, And you're right. That is the dynamic of a GM. They have all of these different relationships that they're managing short-term and long-term. It's the same yep. thing not only with agents – But with people in the media, you wonder why when you see something, for example, from Adrian Wojnarowski, and it's about the Blazers, you know that Olshay is the one informing that because that's just a relationship. He probably wrote the tweet for Woj to send. Yeah, you know that Woj saved that tweet in his drafts and then copied it, pasted it in a text to Olshay, and only once he got the okay did he hit send on that bad boy. You know what's happening, but you're right. That GMs- do you think do you think old Shay just do, do you think he says the okay or do you think he just sends the thumbs up or thumbs down emoji or if it's like super crappy just sends the poop emoji I'd like to think that he's sending the shaka because old Shay <laughs> you know is kind of like a tan southern california you know wants to be cooler than he actually is used to be on a soap opera kind of dude but yes mm-hmm. the job of a GM is to manage relationships uh both short-term and long-term that go well beyond what a coach has to do. A coach has to manage relationships to the team that he has in front of him, which can be very difficult and is, you know, the day-to-day work. And what Olshay is doing is much more medium and long-term. And by the way, as somebody who has been a long-time Olshay detractor or non-supporter, one thing Preach. I've... One thing I've always said and one thing I've always appreciated is that there's organizational continuity from the owner to Olshay to Stotts and to Dame. And that continues to this day. And I do appreciate that. But all of this is just to say the Blazers being as bad as they are. This is not Stotts' fault. This is not Stotts' fault. If you think it's his fault, then you are mistaken. What One other quick point i want to touch on with this because people are clamoring for like oh my gosh so so his he's not changing his offensive play calls or you know when that very damning thing from what dan sheldon came out about like oh yeah so mellow only had time to learn five of the blazers hundred plus plus plays which by the way side note i really hope that the guys at peeps peeps and plaid gave their information to cj and do get the chance to go to that okc thunder game well oh, i, I love seeing that I know, I love, and, and I loved how Austin won't. He lives in Phoenix, so that's just right up there. Oh, he'll that, fly in. Cri- you know, from Phoenix Christian's to Portland, thing. that's a cheap flight. Southwest will get you there in a hundred bucks. 
I would damn well do that if I had free tickets to the game, Me too. free media passes, backstage passes, all that crap straight up from CJ. And just for no other reason than to sit in the locker room and get berated by CJ about how my take was wrong. My favorite part about that tweet were all of the thirsty, thirsty people sliding in well, saying, I'd, oh, I'd come do that. I would do I'd that. Come do that. I, and there is there is one organization who will remain unnamed who said that they would also do that, and I was like, okay, well, sure, whatever. Anyway, yeah, I, I hope they do get the chance to do that. That'd be amazing. But but so along those lines, so like my, my theory with all the complaints about the lack of offensive play calling or defensive changes and all that, in my opinion, Stotts can't be expected to completely change his offensive and defensive principles just because certain players were brought in to be used as like future trade chips. Nobody expected Hassan Whiteside to be here the whole season. And the type of game that he plays is completely different from the type of game that Nurk plays. And so why are you going to completely for lack of throw out the baby with the bathwater for a short-term gain when Nurk's going to be here in the long run, you know, Whiteside's a lesser player than Nurk. He doesn't have his, he doesn't share the same strengths. So again, why upend all of your defensive principles in which Nurk was excelling in and the team was excelling in when he was playing just for that short-term gain of, well, white sides here and also that hinders the growth of players like ant and nas and even collins if he were still playing just to placate to the weaker defender and white side over nurk look at you Agreed? using those 1920s colloquialisms throwing the baby out with the bathwater. i'm proud of you i'm with you on that i also do kind of understand that there are times when as a coach you have to adjust you have to Look at what you have and do something with it. The Blazers can't afford to be five and twelve or six and twelve or whatever the hell they are. They can't six and twelve. You give that win its respect, damn it. <laughs> the thing is, the Blazers two two things. I have so many more opinions about this, but two things. One, they can't afford to be six and twelve, but two, they are lucky that the West at the bottom is a little bit weaker than we all thought it would be, right? Like, we thought that it was going to take 50 wins to get in the eighth seed. That's not the case. Enough teams have played poorly enough where the Blazers are not out of the playoffs yet. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is, while I am not a Stotts detractor, while I am a lifetime Stotts club supporter, fan, president, whatever, I do understand there are some legitimate arguments and some legitimate gripes to be made about some of his decision-making, which do have to do with being flexible. And while I'm with you that you can't expect a coach to upend his entire coaching philosophy based on a couple of injuries and based on, like you said, someone being a mid-season trade chip, you also would expect for him to be maybe more flexible than he has been. And I think that's fair, but it doesn't mean that Stotts is a bad coach. That's my point. So, in uh, overall NBA news, uh, big, slightly big Boj bomb came out earlier this week that uh, the NBA is seriously in talks and considering uh, shortening the regular season, uh, working on implementing a mid-season all-team tournament, and doing some play-in games for the playoffs. Are you, are you up on that story at all, Brandon? I'm up a little bit. I don't know all the details. I will say that I appreciate that they're exploring it. And I do think that ultimately we know that conferences don't work anymore. That's part of it. We also know that players need more rest. So that's also part of it. And so I was going to say, so this is a bit of a double-edged sword of it. So when they're talking about shortening the regular season, they're talking about dropping it down to 78 or 79 games. So we're knocking off three or four games here. Better than nothing. It's better than nothing, but then you insert a mid-season tournament, which the only benefit I would see to a mid-season tournament is if you're going to make that basically the all-star game and that there's actually something on the line for it. But as it stands right now, they're just saying that they're looking at exploring a midseason tournament, but still doing an all-star game. So to me, that kind of doesn't make much sense. Because otherwise, knocking off three, four games, well, you're just now adding on more in the form of a tournament. How do you feel about that soccer-style kind of thing in the middle of the season? 
I'm fine with them exploring the concept and I would want them to play with it. I, I think that the NBA under Adam Silver has been willing to make changes. We've seen that. They've been willing to tinker. We've seen that. But we've also seen that Silver is willing to do this in an iterative way, which is to say he's willing to do things a little bit at a time. So for me, as someone who is interested in policy, I'm a political science major, blah, blah, blah. I am totally okay with incrementalism where it's appropriate if it's getting you to something better. So if the vision, if your goal, if your North star is conferences don't matter and players need more rest, then I'm fine with this because it's allowing you to create something that maybe later you could lop off more games, right? Make more room for it, structure it differently. Uh, so all of this for me, all of these proposed changes, it's not about this is the end all be all. It's that you are trying something and that I'm totally on board with. So, by the way, in regards to the restructuring of the playoff seating, they're not trying to get away with conferences, conferences, words hard, uh, in, in totality. They're talking about in the middle of the playoffs themselves, reseeding, but doing the reseeding in the middle of it with, no regard to conference. So basically, after I'm assuming that like at, or right before it enter would enter what we call the Western and Eastern Conference Finals, they say, okay, these four teams advance. Now we're going to pick the four teams with the best record overall, and you know, one versus four, two versus three, regardless of conference. I'm a little less on board with that. If you're gonna fuck around with playoff seating and 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 disregard conferences you do that straight from the beginning you do the top 16 and make them go at it but again to my point about incrementalism and doing things a little bit at a time some people don't want to see the conferences go away some people want to see them remain there are fans who have an emotional connection to conferences there are people who like to see those head-to-head battles every year Right. Like, can the Blazers get past the Sonics or can the Bulls get past the Pistons or whatever the rivalry is? People like that. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's been a part of people's NBA fandom for a long time. So I don't mind trying to get away from it a little bit at a time. The thing I'm always most interested in these conversations is about travel. And I'm not a scientist. You're not a scientist. Neither of us are doctors. But I do wonder when people talk about how difficult it is to travel between conferences. Is it really so difficult for a player to get on a private chartered flight and sit in a comfortable chair and, or take a nap for a couple of hours? Is that really so difficult? This is not a Flintstones, you know, uh, airplane where they're having to pump their legs to make sure that it keeps flapping. Everybody's got an arm out the window trying to make sure the plane stays afloat. Exactly. (laughs) How difficult is it really? And I, I get the altitude and the pressure and the seats maybe don't go all the way back, but I don't know. I I feel like that was an argument that made more sense 20, 30 years ago than it does today. If you're going to go with that route, then I'm going to say then the number one change that they need to make is they need to reseed the divisions because how are the Portland Trailblazers, which sorry, Toronto, the team of the North in the same freaking division as a team in Oklahoma City. And you're going to tell me that we have Vancouver, Ryan. That's why. But I understand that. No, that's Grizzlies, and we're not in the same division as the Grizzlies anymore. Oh, I'm sorry, Seattle. Seattle. God, I have, yeah, you, you know, need, the Blazers on, won, you need and to, now my you, brain doesn't work. You need to make an apology to the to the former Seattle SuperSonics and Saul Seattle fans right now. That, that that was a deep cut right there. I apologize for confusing the Grizzlies with the Sonics. That is a an unforgivable mistake. There we go. But in that case, when a team moves, then you need you need to readjust conferences, because especially if you look in the Southwest division right now, hell, they can all probably play catch from their frickin front porch with each other with how close those teams are. But that's the problem. That yeah, you have we're like spread out. Blaze, in California. Blazer, yeah. And Blazers are over here and we got to fly to Minnesota, Denver, Utah, Oklahoma City. And that's our division. Really? We've now encompassed half the fucking country in our division. Plus That's altitude. the change you need to make. Exactly. Yeah. Well, just blow Denver up and make them play elsewhere because in all sports, they get an unfair advantage. Uh, you know, Denver's on the come up. I've been there last couple of years and I'm digging my time. So let's not blow it up quite yet. 
I, so, (laughs) you know, all this is just to say I'm, I'm fine with these proposed changes. If they want to tinker with it, that's great. Um, I'm probably most interested in the play in to the playoffs thing where you have the, what was it like the, the seven, eight, nine and 10 seed duking it out for the seventh and eighth spot. I think that's kind of interesting. I think it would disincentivize tanking a little bit more, which would be good because teams do get more money, get more revenue when they're in the playoffs, they get more people coming to the arena um, and they get, they get more money from it. So there would be a, a real disincentive to tank there. So I think that that's worthwhile. I hope that some of them happen. I do. I think it'd be great. If if that uh if that plan game happens, uh, I just cannot wait for the podcast in which Bill Simmons is like, "Why did you guys not listen to me four fucking years ago when I said to do this?" Yeah, that that, that Bill Simmons is a talented you, dude, but he likes smelling his own farts, and we all know that. Yeah, well, I'm not gonna lie, I like smelling his farts too. Right now, I'm a big fan of his podcast, and I can't wait to try to get him on my podcast. That's a fucking flat out lie. That'll never happen. Man, if not you get Bill Simmons him. on your podcast, I will. The only way bow I'm doing that is if I tr- if I track him down in Vegas during one of the times that we're down there for summer league, because I know he's down there at the same time we're down there. I just need to find where he's gambling. Yeah, that could probably so. work. Yeah, he'll probably be at Caesars. I just need to pick the right day. All right, so let's look a little forward into the future. We got a we got a Turkey Day coming up, um, and as far as I'm concerned, on my show, I don't know when you're going to record your next podcast. But the Blazers only play two games over my over my next gap. So we have Wednesday versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. By the way, Wednesday, my birthday. So, uh, Blazers, please fucking win and let Chris Paul die. Uh, (laughs) And then Friday again versus the Chicago Bulls. So, how are you feeling about this upcoming next two games? Well, it's tough because this team had a good game tonight. And when you look at when the Blazers play their best, they can blow out a bad team by 20. That's good. There were there were there were moments in this game where I felt like I was actually watching a Blazers game, which has not been the case for basically the entire season. So that's been good, too. It's really tough to tell. Is it a cop out answer to say, I don't know what's going to happen? I would be hopeful in thinking that they're going to win both those games. They certainly can win both of those games. They are finally back home. That's nice. They're more talented or at least as talented as the Thunder and definitely more talented than the Bulls. So. I'm going to say they're going to win both games. I'm not feeling great about it. I think there's a possibility that they don't, but I think that they probably will. So that's a real analytic, super confident answer from Brandon. Yeah, you. Uh, the look on your face is just screaming confidence. Inspiring right now. confidence, absolutely. Okay, so so carrying on with that confidence, let's let's just extrapolate out a little more. They're following three at the Clippers versus Sacramento. And the Lakers come to town. How are you feeling about that next set? Not as good. Uh, they're not. <laughs> with it, they're going to go into LA. They're going to lose against the Clippers. That's going to happen. They are going to play the Lakers at home, and they will lose. So that leaves the game against the Kings. Um, and again, I just don't know. Here, here's here's hold on, I'll, hold on. With, with that Lakers game, though, is isn't this the first time that Laker, this new look Lakers is coming into the Moda Center? Yes. And the Blazers are carrying a very long win streak versus the Lakers at home. You know, they Am carried a very long win streak of their first game at home that lasted for like multiple lifetimes for some of these young Blazers fans. And it snapped this year. So not yeah. really going to make for on as that. long as Anthony Simons had been alive, I believe. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I uh, the Clippers and Lakers I'm writing off. Those are two legitimately elite teams. And by the way, I want to I want to make a, a mea culpa to all of the Lakers fans, the polite and dignified Lakers fans, because the Lakers look much better than I thought they would. They look. Oh God, I thought I thought they were going to suck too. Yeah, I I mean I thought they were going to be pretty good. I think you remember some preseason podcasting where I was pretty high on the Lakers. They look better than I thought they would. They look really good. Uh, We all knew the Clippers would be good. They are good. So again, I'm writing those two games off. It's the Kings. The Blazers, quote unquote, should win. But then again, the Blazers, quote unquote, should not be six and 12. So I don't know. 
Yeah, they should have won against a depleted Golden State. They should have won against a crappy Cavs team. There's a lot of shoulda, coulda, wouldas in this season. And I just feel predicting a Blazers win is no different than having a freaking coin flip. Because, I mean, again, I'll look back at the Bucks game, and I'm like, oh, my God, they played fantastic. And, yeah, it seemed as though they were getting their ass kicked most of that game. But then again, half the Bucks, ro- or half the Bucks lineup is over seven feet. So when we have no size of... I'm just happy to be down 10. We got it to within two at one point in time. So, and then come out our next game, play like shit against the Cavs. I don't know. It's a coin flip. Just heads or tails. That's what's going to happen in a Blazers game this year. That's all I know. I would just like, I guess. So here's my metric of success. Let's leave aside how the Blazers play against good teams. Cause they're not ready for that yet. If the Blazers start beating the teams that they need to beat, that's going to be nice. If they do well, against the bulls at home and they just blow them out. That's going to be nice. If they play well against the Kings, that's going to be nice. I think that that's the low bar that the team has set for itself is can they beat the teams that they're supposed to beat and look confident doing it? We saw it tonight. We know it can be done. Can they do it consistently? That's going to be really, really important. The good teams that'll come later. God, this is just so sad to be at this point in the season, this early in the season, still under 20, yeah, under 20 games in, and the team that was touting that we want to play for a championship, we feel as though we are worthy of playing for a championship, is now just at the point of going, can we just beat the teams we're supposed to beat? Let's worry about the good teams later. Yeah, expectations are a hell of a drug. <laughs> This is why I maintain that everyone on the Blazers or on the Blazers roster needs to just constantly maintain that underdog mentality. When they start buying what they they were selling themselves, that's when it all went south. But they didn't they didn't need to say they were competing for a championship. I mean, they could have they didn't need to say that, right? They didn't need to set expectations no. so high. They could have just said, but they did. We want to make and another deep playoff run. The West is really good this year. A lot of teams got better. We think that we're talented. We want to make a deep playoff run. They didn't have to go with the title talk. That was like two bridges too far. Yeah, that's extremely premature. And because they said it and because we're fans and there's a lot of other fans out there. Now they're holding that team to that bar that should never have been set that high. Right. Like you can't blame fans for being disappointed because it was the team itself that set this expectation. Right. And let's not even say the team. Uh, uh, Damian Lillard, the leader of the team, made numerous quotes in the offseason that we believe we're worthy of a championship. We believe we're worthy to play in a title game. We, We deserve it. And... I I mean, I'm not going to call bullshit on Dame if he's seeing stuff that's all right. Great. Apparently they're fucking fantastic this year. So, yeah, championship or bust. Well, now we're at bust and people are throwing out a gifts and emojis of tanks rolling through the streets. So and again, that's that's the good question mark news about this is that the rest of the West has been not great enough at the bottom to where the Blazers are not out of it yet. They're not like, again, if this if this season had gone the way we thought it was going to go for all the rest of the teams near the bottom of the playoff picture in the West, the Blazers would already be disqualified, but they're not. They could still definitely get back in. They could get scrappy, be one of those scrappy seven or eight seeds. Uh, Top seed is now definitely out of the question, but they're not out of the playoff picture. And that's something I guess. Yeah, my season-long beer bet of them for 50 wins is looking slimmer and slimmer. This may be the first year that Green wins, and he's always been on the low end of the beer bet spectrum. And I think he pegged him for 42 this year. So he's actually trending a little too high on that, and that makes me sad. We're, so, I mean, let's let's do that. Where do you think, given this 6-12 and 12 start, how many wins are they getting this year? See, this is a weird one because I'm used to him kind of starting off somewhat mediocre-ish, not this horrible, but they've gone on stints in the past where they've just played like crap for a good, like, 15-game stretch, and... It's weird because we all knew that this first 18 games of the season, when they're playing most of these games on the road, was going to be hard. Realistically, right now, I would probably peg them 
if they can get their head out of their ass and pull this pull this crap together, I'm still gonna give them a 44, 45 wins if they can get it together. And I'm saying this without trade. This is not me going, hey, so if we flip Hassan Whiteside or we do this, that, or the other, or we make a major trade on the 15th or at the NBA trade deadline, whatever. There you I'm go. You just team, covered your ass very well. Team as constructed right now. Yeah, I may, have, I may have done this once or twice before, but I'm saying team as right now constructed, 44 to 45 wins. I would go a little lower, but I think that you're right that it's possible it could happen. It could happen without a trade. I do think that the most interesting thing here is how are other teams around the league doing? And I have my eye very strongly on the San Antonio Spurs. They're not looking so great. LaMarcus Aldridge, it's, come home, baby. Come on come home. home. Come on home. Man, because oh, that, that would be... That's the only part of the song I know. I was going to sing more of it, but that's all I got. I mean, I know that this is a podcast for another day, but LaMarcus Aldridge on this team would be pretty great. It would be pretty great. I mean, this, this that would be very, very interesting. If you get L.A. on this team, it'd be very interesting indeed. See, and I agree. That's probably the best and most realistic trade expectation that the Blazers have. I love seeing all the, oh, well, if you do this with uh, with or, or with um, and get Aaron Gordon or if you do this and get Kevin Love or or do this and get Blake Griffith. And it doesn't even matter. Like you're seeing the unrealistic like they want people want to ship off Hassan Whiteside, Kent Bazemore, a first and a second. And they're even trying to give up this year's first. And I'm like, no, this year's first, unless you're going to lottery protect the ever living crap out of that, you keep that thing. But I'm like, why is everybody giving up so much for a player that you don't even know if that team wants to trade? It takes two to tango in this. So, yeah, Kevin Love may be a great fit on the Blazers, but do the Cavs really want to give him up? Aaron Gordon may be a great fit on the Blazers, but does his team want to give him up? Same with Blake Griffith. Just because these players would fit in our system perfectly doesn't mean their team wants to give him up. But you look at what San Antonio is going through. DeRozan and Aldridge are not working, and the Spurs are not winning. There's there's no harm in them getting out of that and shipping him off for an expiring contract. So, yeah, it's probably the best fit. the The only thing that's rough about that is that I mean Popovich doesn't have too many more years of coaching, and he probably wants to push as hard as he can. So that that makes it a little bit harder. But yeah, I mean, Be- best excuse for him to get out. He trades a star player and he rides off into the sunset because it just wasn't his year. Yeah, I guess it would be funny to see him retire at game 81 so that he didn't have that last season where he didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> does uh, does Duncan take over as head coach or is that Becky Hammond then? I think uh, Hammond would be second in line. Oh, yeah. Kennedy was giving me crap the other day. I was saying Becky Hammond was hot and he told me I was crazy. Well, I mean, I, I think that she's a really good coach. And that's something that, by the way, is really, really... Nice PC save. Nice PC save. It's not even just PC. <laughs> it's true. And also, it's important. I mean, you considering a league that has never seen a female coach, it is super important to see, like, when he got tossed, like, it was like a week and a half ago, and you saw Becky Hammond was the one coaching, and, like, that's a big deal. So, I mean... No, 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 no. If you followed even the Spurs Twitter, they actually came out and said that Becky Hammond and Tim Duncan were splitting coaching duties. Well, okay, whatever. That I, was a disservice to her that I disagreed with on their part. So. I, I just... I mean, I, I, I don't think it's PC to say that that's important because it is. Um, and so, I, I mean, at any rate, the Spurs... Look, they want to do right by Coach Pop. They do. And he deserves that. He deserves to go out however he wants to go out. If he wants to be competitive, he wants to keep L.A. And they somehow he, you know, like convinced him to take a contract extension. And maybe there's some goodwill there still. He doesn't want to be traded. I don't know. But um, I would love to see L.A. on this team. I'm with you that Kevin Love and Blake Griffin injury considerations. Aaron Gordon, not quite the right fit. One more name I'll throw out there. Ben Simmons has been underperforming. No. He's been underperforming his max contract extension. You wouldn't mm. want to see Ben Simmons on his team? God, no. No. And on a team where we already tried to bring in people who we thought that could shoot and can't shoot, I don't need to bring in a guy who can't shoot. And 
I mean, he would be, he would, if, if you, uh, he would be a second unit monster. The Blazers could be the first team in league history to have two starting lineups. Second, second unit. You want to bring Ben Simmons in to be the backup point guard, first man off the bench. You just stagger the minutes such that he gets starters minutes, but that he's not playing with Dame somehow. Mostly. (laughs) I threw up it. I threw up in my mouth and it will never happen. That look, I'm just trying to convince myself that there's something out there for these blazers so they can get better. I'm sure there is something out there, and it's, there's the last name of Ball involved, but that's all I'll say. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I just, I can't, I as talented as some of those players are, I just, I, I can't abide by that. You just don't want their dad floating around the locker room, do you? That's exactly correct. <laughs> all right, on that new, new, note, let's wrap this thing up. All right. Uh, any anything you want to plug? Anything you want to talk about? Anything uh, you need to say? Why? Yes, I do want to plug, and I appreciate the opportunity. You should follow me at Golden PDX. But more importantly, I like the Blazers. That's the name of the podcast. You can also find that at I Like the Blazers on Twitter or on Facebook. And that's pretty much it for me. That's what I want to plug. I'd love if you guys want to connect with the show, give us a review. That'd be dope. That's pretty much it. I don't have it like any important works that I want to plug. It's just just the show. <laughs> so uh, you can find me at the witty Ryan on Twitter. Uh, you can follow my works at uh, on off the glass or at OTG basketball. Uh, I will have a piece coming out here within the next day or two uh, coming to the defense of the recently ridiculed coach terry stotts uh because nobody talks about my terror bear that way and uh you can also follow the the this podcast uh on apple itunes spotify stitcher i think of wherever else you get podcasts from uh just search blazer tag podcast uh you can follow us on twitter at uh blazer tag pdx and that's about all i got till then happy thanksgiving bro Happy Thanksgiving to you, too. I was, I was wondering, are you kicking it back to me? I don't know what to say. I hope that you edit out that extremely awkward pause. But, yes. No, I am, I, I'm looking at that really long, silent bar. I'm keeping that in there. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Go Blazers. Thank you to Ryan Whitledge for having me on his show and allowing me to simultaneously release this podcast on our feed. And of course, if you want to help us out, we would super ultra appreciate it. You can find us at I Like the Blazers on Twitter or Facebook. The most helpful thing that you can do, if you wouldn't mind, please, whatever podcast catching device you're using, whether it's Podbean, which is something I only heard about from the No Dunks podcast, formerly the starters. Uh, Podbean, uh, Radio Public, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google Play. If you're able to give us a review and a rating, or even just a rating, both a review and a rating would be amazing, but a five-star review would go a long way in helping other people find the show, and I would really, really appreciate it as a small, independent podcast that does not have a revenue source and doesn't look like one is going to be coming anytime soon. Other people accessing the podcast, if they like it, if you like it, sharing it with people, that's super important. I would really, really appreciate it. So with that, thank you all for listening. We'll have another episode up at some point in the not-too-distant future, but until then, this is I Like the Blazers. I am your host, Brandon Goldner, and let's get another win, shall we? Go, Rip City.